I sense that there's either someone in the house here or more than likely there's someone online that is not going to tune in for the entire message. And so I have a word for that person up front. And I just want to share with you three points about faith. Now I'm going to teach a message about faith in a minute, but I just want to share this, and I have a specific word for whoever this is. The first point I want to make is that God used faith in creating the world. Now, we know God wants us to have faith, but the reality is God wants us to use the substance of faith because he uses it. Scripture says in Hebrews 11:3, By faith we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. In Romans 4, 17, it says it like this, that our God is the God that makes new things out of nothing. God doesn't need any raw material to create something, to change your heart, to get finances into your bank account. He doesn't need any of that. He just needs that word and your faith to make it happen. The second point I want to make is that a little faith goes a long way. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that have convinced themselves that they don't have enough faith. And so we sit on this side of receiving, thinking, if I just had more faith. Well, Jesus himself, when he was talking to his disciples, says, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. We just sang a song a minute ago about nothing is impossible with God. Well, nothing can be impossible with us if we will catch the, the understanding that it doesn't take a lot of faith, it just takes faith. And the third point I want to make is that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming sooner now than he's ever been in our lifetime. And he's looking to see if we remain strong in the faith. This is one of the passages that I read this morning. The Lord just resonated. Jesus himself said, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus, when he returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Jesus is coming to a body, a people that is full and expectant with faith. Jesus is coming soon. It could be today. It could be this week. It could be this month. I don't know, but the signs of the times are evident. The season of grace, if you tune in online, I want you to hear me. The season of grace is about to close. When the rapture of the church happens, the season of grace will be gone. There still will be an element of grace, and there will be people saved during the Great Tribulation, but most of them will be martyred for their faith. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you've walked away from your faith and find yourself entangled in the affairs of this world apart from God, today is the day of reconciliation. Don't wait. 
Don't even wait till the end of this message. That's why God told me, don't wait till the end of the message to read this, to read it at the beginning. Right now, ask for forgiveness. Surrender your heart. The Scripture declares this. Somebody's been convinced that God's distant. He's, you walked away from Him, but the Scripture says that He's not far from any of us. If you did just that, Here in this sanctuary or wherever you're watching, welcome home. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Trust him, and you'll see amazing things happen by faith. Well, I want to share a message today entitled Understanding the Value of Faith. Now, there's 29 minutes left on that timer. I did this message in Kansas City a few weeks ago, and they gave me 55 minutes, and I didn't finish. So you're going to have to lean in and listen fast because when that clock says zero, then the message is over, right? I want to speak to you about faith, but before I begin today's message, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to lay a framework of truth regarding faith. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you all seven points at the beginning of the message. Truth number one, God gives each of us a measure of faith. Romans 12.3 says every he, he has deposited in each of us a measure of faith. Truth number two, without faith it's impossible to please God. Doesn't matter what you do, what you accomplish, if you're doing it without faith, if you can do it in your own strength, your own ability, you don't need to ask God's help in any way, that's not faith. And it's not pleasing to God. Truth number three, Faith is a substance. I'm going to talk more about this in a minute. But faith is a substance. And the singular ingredient is hope. Hebrews 11.6 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Truth number four, faith has an accelerant that multiplies its strength and effectiveness. And that accelerant is love. The Bible tells us faith works by love. Truth number four, excuse me, truth number five. Faith has various levels. The Bible talks about we don't all have that same level of faith. It talks about great faith in Matthew 8.10, weak faith in Romans 14.1, and unused faith in Romans 4.40. So it's evident that we can do things to mature our faith. Truth number six, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The way you grow your faith, the way you mature in faith, is by reading and studying and meditating on God's Word. And truth number seven, which is what this message is going to be about, is faith must be activated with words. 2 Corinthians 4.13. So the, the title of today's message is Understanding the Value of Faith. Let me just say, this message is not about faith, nor is it a message about building your faith. It's more of a message about why God chooses faith as the only instrument of His approval. What is it about faith that makes it so pleasing to God? And why is faith singular ingredient hope and why is love the only fuel that ignites its full potential? 
You see, the average person has roughly 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day, which equals 35 to 48 thoughts a minute. Scientists tell us that approximately 95% of our thoughts today were the same thoughts we thought yesterday. To make matters worse, about 80% of those habitual, everyday thoughts are negative ones. I want to talk about how those negative thoughts impact your faith in a minute, so follow me here. Tens of thousands of negative thoughts cycle through our minds day after day, poisoning our attitudes, our outlooks, one by one. Eighty percent of tens of thousands of little micro-thoughts add up to a lot of negative thinking and self-talk. You see, it's our thoughts that drive our feelings and control our happiness, not our circumstances. If our thoughts are negative, our feelings and actions will be negative as well. Thinking like this will ultimately lead to a negative life outlook, one that's lacking peace and joy because it's full of worry and anxiety. If we constantly think about our past mistakes rather than accepting God's forgiveness and mercy, we'll feel unforgivable, unlovable, causing us to live a life disconnected from the love and acceptance that God wants us to embrace. If we constantly listen to negative self-talk, which is not from God, ultimately we end up sinking in an ocean of discouragement, hopeless, and feeling we can never live up to our potential. You see, our thoughts turn into feelings that can easily take control of our lives and steer us in a direction we do not want to go. Our feelings often persistent and unrelenting, constantly whispering lies to gain dominion over our actions. Thoughts create our present and future destiny, either good or bad, because whatever we dwell on in our minds will eventually play out in our lives. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for, Hebrews 11.1 1 says. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. But fear consumes our energy while faith restores it. And we see this dynamic illustrated in James 1, 2, and 3. Now, you've, you've all read this verse many times, but I want you to see this dynamic playing out. Because James writes in James chapter 1, two, verse 2, he says, My fellow believers. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Who's he writing this to? Us, believers. And I want you to see these contrasts. When it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity. Now, the next verse, he repeats that, but he, he uses different language. So instead of saying, when it seems, he says, for you know. And then instead of saying, as though you face nothing but difficulty, he says, when your faith is tested. He's drawing the same point, but he's trying to be clear that we understand. And then I want you to see this last point. When At first he says, see it as an invaluable opportunity. Now in verse 3 he says, it stirs up the power within you. You see, faith stirs up a power within you that will change your life. All you have to do is look for the truth contained in God's word and trust him to reveal what you need to know when you need to know it. The Bible refers to faith as a good fight. Fights are often painful, physically, mentally, emotionally. In your pain, know one truth. 
you're not alone. You know, I started to ask you if anybody got in a fight in high school, but I didn't want you all to raise your hand. But if you've ever been in a fight, usually somebody gets hurt. And I want you to know the fight of faith is intended to hurt the devil, not to hurt you. But you have to engage. You have to get in that place. You see, Jesus sees you, and he knows what you're going through. He knows, he cares, he's been there, and because he suffered, he offers a strength rooted in compassionate understanding. You see, the wilderness is a place we all encounter, but it's never our ultimate destination. The wilderness is not intended to be a place of failure, but rather a place of preparation for victory. I want you to see this next point. It's key to what's going on in your faith. You see, rain is scarce in the desert. Water is not easily accessed there. If it's to be found at all, it has to be drawn from wells or springs. When you're in a dry season, instead of looking externally to be refreshed, Dig deep internally where you'll draw from those rivers of living water, those reservoirs of God's Word that the Holy Spirit is stored up for that very moment. Lean into the Lord. Tell Him where you're hurting, but also tell Him that you trust Him with the outcome that He has in mind. See, while this is happening, while the battle is ensuing, in this darkness of difficulties, since we can't see His hand, we must trust His heart. You've got to tell God that you trust him and remind yourself that his plans for you are good. Thank him for the attention he's given you right now and ask him to completely finish his work in you. See, there are times when what's happening in the world requires each of us to leverage or risk whatever we have. Our resources, our favor, our knowledge, our connections. Why? Why would God ask us to put those things on the line? Because people are worth it. None of us can expect to rebuild the lives of others without it costing us something personally. And I found in my own life the number one thing it cost me is time. There are things that all of us would like to do that we have to stop doing in order to allow God to prepare us for what he wants to do through us. Sometimes what God is asking us to do seems frightening, requiring great strength and courage. I can tell you Joshua felt the same way. In Joshua 1.6, God told him, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, fear and discouragement that comes from negative thoughts the enemy is hurling at us will try to keep us from stirring up the power in each of us as our faith is being tested there's an opportunity to quit. There's an opportunity you just want it to stop. You want the battle to be over. But when you stand your ground in faith, you step into the purposes and destiny that God's planned. Once you connect your heart to God's mission for your purpose in life, it becomes necessary for each of us to do something about it. And to do something means you've got to hoist that mighty shield of faith. You got to get that shield of faith in its proper place to extinguish those fiery darts of the enemy, those negative thoughts that lead to doubt. You got to ask him for the plan that will lead to victory, his plan, not our plan. 
I found in most time in my life when I've gotten to God and tried to convince him that my plan would work, he doesn't seem to be as receptive about that. But when I go to God and I say, God, what's the plan? He's willing to download that. And then he just wants us to step out in faith and trust him. You see, God is not bound by time, space, or matter. He knows the beginning from the end. Ivory, he already knows the beginning of your trip from the end, everything that's going to happen in between. So whatever he tells us to do through his word or by the Holy Spirit or by wise and godly counsel, he expects us to obey that plan, no matter how strange it might seem. You see, the work God called each of us to do is hard. And sometimes it's dirty. It's the kind of dirty that gets up underneath your fingernails and leaves your hands blistered and cracked. That The front line isn't an easy world to live in. And that's why so few people decide to engage it. It's a lot easier to send somebody else on the missionary field than to go yourself. But the front lines where the miraculous works are happening that bring him glory and point others to the love of Jesus. That's where the broken city gates lay waiting to be rebuilt. Sometimes those gates are physical, but most often those gates are emotional or spiritual or mental. Those types of gates can be even harder to rebuild. But broken people and hurting communities are worth it, even if it costs us everything to rebuild them. See, the enemy lies to us and tries to tell us that it's always been this way. It'll never change. But God just needs a few people, like Gideon's army, people like us who decide to get close enough to the front line, stirring our collective faith that changes everything. You see, it's strength in numbers, God's way. Scripture says one will set 1,000 to flight, two will set 10,000 to flight, and everybody in this auditorium has the capacity together to change this entire community, to pull down strongholds that have bound the city for 100 years. It's, if our numbers were great, we would place confidence in our ability. But when our confidence is in God, not ourselves, our faith stirs up that strong power within and then we can do something about the issue that society tries to tell us is impossible. You see, in Nehemiah's day, everybody was expected to participate in the rebuilding of the walls. There were a lot of people working who weren't qualified or specialized in what they were asked to do. Sometimes Pastor Chris might ask somebody to do something. You think, I've never done that before. I don't have any training in that. Well, it was the same thing in Nehemiah's day. There were priests building alongside perfume makers. The scripture says there were goldsmiths with district leaders, fathers laboring with their daughters. What I love about this story is there were a lot of people doing something they were not experts at doing. Too many times when God asks us to do something, we think we need training, we need expertise, we want to do it with excellence. Sometimes I think that's a cop-out because we think we just don't want to do it. They didn't pray about whether or not they should do it. They prayed while they were doing it. They didn't wait until they knew how to do it. They learned as they went. Why? Because people are in danger. Evil was outside the gate. Children were at risk. God's reputation with an entire generation was on the line. There was too much at stake. And let, remind, let me remind each of us, in Nehemiah's day, everybody necessary to rebuild the wall and restore the gates was already in the town. 
that principle is true with us. Our church, our community is full of all the people necessary to bring about the transformation God desires in this city and in this region. He's not waiting for the Calvary to come. You're here. We can do this. To do this, to rise up and do the great things God's planned for a rise church, to fulfill the vision that began with our founding pastors, Sonny and Susan Knatzer, and continues with great passion through our lead pastors, Chris and Nancy Gutierrez, we must remember the, apostle, the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, forgetting the past, I press on. You see, faith always requires that we press on. Past disappointments will strip of us of our ability to dream and prevent us from believing for the miraculous. The enemy will always use past disappointments to bring up hurt feelings or broken promises designed to get you to doubt God and cause you to quit before you even start. This is exactly the moment when each of us needs to stand, clothed in the full armor of God, get our shield up to extinguish those fiery darts, and allow God to complete that perfect work of faith that he started in each of us. Maybe you've never considered that you're part of the solution to rebuild and restore what's broken in the lives of the people in your community. But you're called for this work by virtue of being God's chosen people. We know the work seems impossible, but it isn't. It's good work. It's our work. It's just going to take all of us. This is our proving ground. This is where the love that we've been shown by God is going to be used to change those in our community. You see, daring faith frees you to be who God's called you to be, not an imitation of someone else. You don't have time to waste trying to look like someone else or have someone else's style or adapt your gift to someone else's design. You're an original, fearfully and wonderfully made and full of faith. Faith in the presence of unbelief is almost always viewed as arrogance. Doing what is impossible only seems impossible until you do it. But with God, all things are possible. For Joshua, as he led the Israelites, the impossible was the walls of Jericho. This prosperous and heavily fortified city was the gateway to the promised land. And after wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites were finally on the doorstep of the plentiful land that God promised to their forefathers. It would be a new beginning, a place they could call their own. But first, there was Jericho. To defeat an enemy that was surrounded by two sets of massive walls with security, securely barred gates must have seemed like an impossible task. Joshua and the Israelites probably felt like tiny ants standing next to those great walls. Yet they followed God's plan precisely a seemingly impossible plan, and what resulted was one of the most epic victories ever recorded. We can draw several principles from this story to obtain the victory in our present battles. The first is to focus on the greatness of God rather than the size of the task. If you concentrate on the problem, the burden, or the battle you're facing, your problem will appear insurmountable. However, when you focus on the greatness of God, that problem begins to shrink in size. When you look at God's word, we're reminded of how magnificent and capable our God truly is. I want you just I could have put a lot of scriptures, but I just put this one. I want you to hear this. Isaiah 40:12 says, "Who else has held the oceans in his hand? 
Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else has knows the exact weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? You see, scriptures like this give us an understanding into God's enormous, unlimited capacity. It gives us a greater perspective of his awesome power. Unfortunately for most of us, perspective is exactly what we lack in the midst of our troubles. We tend to lose sight of everything else, and all we see are the huge obstacles standing in our way. They were there yesterday. They were there last week. They were there last year. They were there five years ago. And, and we just think they're, it's always going to be this way. This often causes us to feel helpless, hopeless, and defeated. The right perspective is acknowledging that God is exponentially greater than any wall, any problem, any mountain that we may be facing. You may be reminded of God's power and his ability to demolish every obstacle standing your way. See, God had a very specific plan for Joshua and the Israelites to conquer the city of Jericho. It was an unusual and unconventional plan, and it probably didn't make much sense to his people. Though Joshua and the Israelites may not have understood, they followed the Lord's instructions, and they were victorious as a result. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Let me just tell you in my own personal experience, when I'm dealing with a difficulty and I can come up, I think I've thought of the solution, I know in advance it, it, that is not going to work. Because God's ways are much greater than, if I can figure out how he's going to do it, it's probably not the way he's going to do it. To step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. Each of us are on a constant journey of teaching our hearts how to rest in God and to trust his promises. Teaching our mind to trust him and reminding ourselves to think and speak words of faith and hope. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Jesus made this point in Matthew 15.17 and Paul emphasized, it several, emphasized this concept several times in his letters when he said don't copy the behavior or customs of the world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So now we're back to those thoughts. Those 80,000 thoughts a day, that 80% of them are negative. See, the change each of us desires starts with God, with allowing God to change the way we think. Romans 12, 2 continues, it says, that when you change the way you think, it says you'll learn to know God's perfect will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we consider the biblical heroes found throughout the Old Testament, there's one major shared characteristic between them, and that's their faith. They each made the decision to believe and to act upon the words that God had spoken. Following in the footsteps of biblical heroes does not require you to walk across the sea on dry land. It simply means that you're choosing to respond in faith to the words that God has spoken. God doesn't tell us everything we want to know. He doesn't clear all the obstacles from our path or take away our choices. He's not promised to make life easy. He's placed us in this challenging world at this critical time in history. Let me just tell you, this is a critical time in history. 
This is the time in history that the prophets have spoke about. And the fact that God has sovereignly ordained that each of us could be alive in this period of time. We could be the ones on the earth that see the Great Commission fulfilled and the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus. That is an awesome responsibility. But it will require that we believe Him when everything around us tries to tell us that God is a liar, that God is dead, that God helps those who help Himself. And I want you to know that all three of those statements I just read to you are lies. God's not a liar. God's not dead. And God helps them who helps Himself. It's nowhere in the Bible. We've got to get our shields up. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 reminds us that we live by believing, not by seeing. Let me tell you, for some of you, you need to turn the news off. If you're getting more news than you are getting Bible, there is going to be an issue in your life in this time. Because you're not getting the substance that your faith needs to stand strong. Trust doesn't mean that we'll be happy or that it will all work out the way we want it to in the end. Again, more lies of the enemy. Get your shield up. It doesn't mean life will be neat and tidy or that we'll always feel like thanking God for what comes our way. Again, lies. Get your shield up. It does mean that recognizing that God is bigger and better than we are and choosing to let Him lead knowing that He will never fail or forsake us. I'm going to try to get one more short story, and that clock is really going fast. In the name of Jesus. In, second Corinthians, in chapter 3 of 2 Kings, there's a fascinating story where we find that three kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom are joining forces to fight a war they thought they could easily win. But things didn't go as planned. Anybody ever started a task that you thought was just a simple task and all of a sudden in the middle of it you realize this is not working the way I thought it was going to work? The three kings asked Elisha the prophet for the, for the help in their fight and Elisha gives the kings an answer but it's not what they expected. Elisha tells them to go and dig ditches and that God would fill the ditches with the water which will nourish the troops and the cattle. In doing this, Elisha tells the kings, God will deliver Moab into your hands. You see, the kings likely found Elisha's request a bit ridiculous. Anyone ever have a problem that God gave you an answer that wasn't the answer you were looking for? And that's what's happening here. They believed, but they believed in God's promises and did it anyway. They didn't understand. It didn't make sense. There was no military tactic involved, but they did it anyway. See, the story is all about faith, faith that's activated. Only God can send water, but he wants you to dig some ditches. Do something that doesn't make sense to your rational mind. If you want to see living water of God change that wayward child or soften the heart of your boss or to change your city, then go dig a ditch. Real faith believes big, but you must be willing to start small. The size of your vision is not intimidating to God, but most of us don't think big enough. But even worse, too many of us are not willing to start small. How do you dig a ditch? You take your shovel and you hit the hard, dry ground one shovel at a time. 
You can't expect God to do big things if you're not willing to obey small commands. Believe big, start small. Put your faith into action by digging some ditches. And then it says, Elisha said, this is what the Lord says, you, this dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You'll see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but the valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves, your cattle, and your other animals. But I want you to get what he says at the end. He says, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over your enemy. You see, the things that we think are impossible, the things that we're trying to convince God are too difficult, he can do them, but he says, this is only a simple thing. Small acts of obedience and the impossible is only a simple thing for God to make us victorious. The next day, it says, water suddenly appeared, and soon there was water everywhere. See, God wants you to look straight ahead because victory he has for you is not behind you, it's in front of you. Looking back is the same thing as dropping anchor. It's choosing to be still, to be stagnant, to do nothing. Don't let yourself focus on the negative when the positive is, with, with this, is within reach. The best days, or your best days are not in your past. The best days of Arise Church are ahead of us. Faith is the light that shines through the tunnel. It's the compass that points north when you get off course. Faith is what you have left when everything else seems so far away. It isn't always easy to have faith, but it's always necessary if we want to please God. When God calls us to trust Him, He's not being naive. He knows what kind of world we live in. And he knows better than we do how difficult it can be. God knows we will have hardship. He's not intimidated by our circumstances. When we have faith over fear, then fear is no longer our master. Faith is the backbone of our belief. It's what keeps you going. Faith makes us sure that what we hope for, that God will do. Faith ignites the power inside you. It answers the fear, insecurity, uncertainty by empowering you to be courageous and to boldly trust God. Now that timer just stopped. So let me just say you this. Learning His ways will always contradict your human thoughts but it will satisfy the deep yearning of your soul. God wants each of us to trust him even when we don't understand how we'll make it through. If you understood, it wouldn't require faith. As we lean into his Father's heart, he reminds us of his promises, and then he puts those promises on our lips so we can speak them. We choose faith by finding the posture of rest trusting in the unseen, believing that the unseen is more real than the seen, allowing hope to arise, letting love ignite our faith so we step up and see God do the impossible. You see, it's only in his presence with the confident posture of rest that we can truly understand the value of faith. Thank you.